to Romans chapter 8 now. We're going to think from Romans 8, then we're going to sing. And then we've got three brothers who are going to come up and we're going to think a little bit more about how this applies on a day-to-day basis. But let's read from Romans 8. If you've got one of the red Bibles, it's page 1134, 1134. We're thinking tonight on verses 5 to 11, but we'll read from verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Now at the start start of verse 5, there should be the word for. In the original Greek, there is the word for. So we'll put that in because it shows us how verse 5 connects and flows from verse 4. For those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. This is God's word. Let's pray before we think about this more. Our Heavenly Father, we're told that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirits, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Nothing in all creation is hidden from your sight, but everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give us an account. So, Father, we pray that tonight your word would do this, that it would lay us bare, that it would cut to the very attitudes and thoughts of our hearts. And as it does this, it would show us your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now last week, summarizing what we learned, we said that in Romans 8 verses 1 to 4, we can summarize it under the two words, in Christ. That to be a Christian is someone who is united to Jesus in him by faith. And that if we're in him, there is no condemnation. That outside of him we deserve to be condemned, judged by God in this life and for eternity. But in Christ there is no condemnation. That means that God has done everything necessary to remove from us both the penalty that our sin deserves, but also to break the 
power of sin in our lives. We are in Christ. And he gave a reason, or a kind of therefore, a purpose for this. If you look in verse 4, this should come up on the screen. Why has God done this? Verse 4, in order that, here's the purpose, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. If you are in Christ, what is the purpose of that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in you. Now that is to say, you are to live a life that pleases God. Now you might say, hang on, hang on. How? Because you were saying last week that this is the very same law that condemns me. How then am I meant to live in a way that fulfills it? How can I do this? Well, in Romans 8 verses 5 to 11, Paul answers this question really simply. You can take out a bunch of words in Romans 8, 5 to 11, and it ends up saying this. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, in you, the Spirit, in you, the Spirit, in you, the Spirit, in you. How can we do this as Christians? How can you live the Christian life when you are battling against sin? How can you live the Christian life when you are walking with God through pain and suffering? Romans 8, 5 to 11. The Spirit in you. That will come up on the screen. You see all these words. The Spirit comes up eight times. In you comes up four times. Paul, how can I do this? How can I live the Christian life? The Spirit in you. So, so far, Romans 8 is you are in Christ and the Spirit is in you. The hallmark of every authentic believer is that the Spirit is in them. And in this section, Paul wants to show us, he aims to persuade us that the power to walk as a Christian comes exclusively and entirely from the Spirit in you. You've probably seen those adverts, like the Lucasade advert, where you've got a bunch of blokes running on a treadmill. And uh, the game is, who can go the hardest for the longest? And it happens to be that the guy who goes for the longest is the guy who's got Lucasade in him. He may just have been the guy who's the fittest, but that ruins the advert. He had Lucasade in him, therefore he went hardest and longest. Then there's a Duracell one. Which, when you stop and think about a rabbit playing the drums, is again a little bit weird. But you've seen that advert? Rabbits playing the drums, and all these gorillas around him start playing the drums, but they go nowhere near as long as he goes. Why? Because the rabbit's got Duracell in him. Do you get the point? But actually, Romans 8 is nothing like that, because it is not that with the Spirit you can just go longer than other people who don't. But actually, if you don't have the Spirit at all, you cannot go anywhere at all. Because Paul is going to say, every Christian has the Spirit. You cannot be in Christ and not have the Spirit. Every Christian believer has been gifted God's Spirit in him or her to enable them to walk the Christian life. The Spirit in you. And Paul wants to assure you tonight. He wants you to be filled with an assurance that as we battle, the Spirit is in you. Now here's how he's going to do this. He's going to first of all give us a couple of contrasts. 
and he contrasts it black and white. You're going to feel the force of this tonight. Because he wants you to be convinced that as a Christian, you have everything necessary to walk as a Christian. And so his black and white contrast, he picks someone who doesn't have the Spirit. So let's look at the first one. He first concentrates on the mind, verse 5. Let's read that again, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Paul says, all right, let's think first about someone who is not a Christian, who is outside of Christ. Their mind is set on what their sinful nature desires. Now, what Paul does here is he defines someone by their relationship to God. So every person is defined actually not by who they are in relation to other people or to other things or to this world, but fundamentally, base level, about how they relate to God. And he says, fundamentally, someone who is outside of Christ is defined as an enemy of God and in rebellion from him. And therefore, it is not just that they are sinners, but that that sin has affected every aspect of who they are. So that he can say, if you're not a Christian, you have a sinful nature. The deepest you, the real you, is defined by your relationship to God. A sinful nature. And how does he define that nature? Well, it is driven by desires, and it has its mind set on fulfilling those desires. Guys have spoken about this in the past as being the kind of nature that is bent in on itself. That only lives for what I desire. It is selfish. It is self-consumed. Because it's me living for my nature, for what my nature desires. It's kind of the selfie thing. It's weird. Nowadays, we don't take pictures of other people. We take pictures of ourselves. Why? Because human nature is so self-obsessed. I read an article the other day that apparently the rise of selfies, which is a picture of yourself, has been matched by a rise in um, plastic surgery demand. It's very interesting. Photoshop isn't enough. Uh, We need more help than that to be satisfied by how we look. And so we go to the plastic surgeon and say, help. We're totally self-consumed. And Paul says, our sinful nature desires so much that our mind is obsessed by ourselves. Now here's the question. Can a person whose mind is set on the sinful nature fulfill the righteous requirement of God's law? No. It's a really simple answer. What does Paul mean by the righteous requirement of the law? I think he means how Jesus summarized the law. The greatest commandment. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Paul goes to the sinful nature's mind and says, can they fulfill this righteous requirement of the law if their mind is constantly on themselves? Of course not. They can never do this. But you, 
your mind, if you are in Christ and the Spirit is in you, is very different. The second half of verse 5. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If you're a Christian, you're no longer defined by your sinful nature, but by being in Christ. And if in Christ, his Spirit in you. So actually, the driver of your desires has changed. The mind that was set has been reset. So that no longer am I bent in on myself, but I am straightened out to say, what does God desire of me? What is God's desire? What is the Spirit's desire for my life? Well, actually, that would fulfill that greatest commandment. Love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And so with the Spirit in me and His desires in the driving seat, can I fulfill this righteous requirement of the law? Yes. Because as His desires become your desires, His mind becomes your mind, the Spirit in you gives you everything you need to live the Christian life. The Spirit in you, if He's in you, your mind is on Him. If He's in you, He's in your mind. Everything you need to live in order that I might fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Do you see what Paul's doing? He just contrasts a non-Christian with a Christian and says, if the Spirit is in you, you can do this. You can live as a Christian. He goes secondly, not only your mind and what it's set on, but your mind and what it is controlled by. Have a look at verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. A sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Again, he sets up the contrast. Let's think first about someone who is outside of Christ a non-Christian. What are they controlled by? Paul says they're controlled by their sinful nature. And he starts off in verse 6 by talking about the results of that. The sinful mind is death. Paul's consistent throughout the whole book of Romans. The wages of sin is death. At the end of our lives, God will give us what we have earned. He'll give us our due. And he says that if you have sinned, the wage that is due you is death. And you know, we tend to think of that as behavior, but Paul says, no, hang on, let's go deeper. Let's go to your mind. The sinful mind, even, is death. The open sins that we see in the world do not tell us how evil this world is. You cannot see the depths of my evil heart of my evil nature just by what I do. The true measure of the evil that is in me is where? In my thoughts. Have you ever been surprised at how perverted some of your thoughts can be? We read, we pray from Hebrews 4. God is not just the one who observes our behavior, but his word penetrates between joint and marrow right to your mind. He will judge our mind. The mind of sinful man deserves death. He steps back from the results and says, why is this? 
And he says in verse 7, it's because, one, the sinful mind is hostile to God's. Two, it doesn't submit to God's law. Three, nor can it do so. Four, it cannot please God. It is defined by a total hatred in the mind, total rebellion in the behavior, and a total inability in their nature. Let me ask you the same question. Can this person fulfill the righteous requirement of God's law? No. In fact, they don't even want to. Do you see that? It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. One writer, a little bit cheekily, writes, Behold the power of free will. Why does he say that? Because what freedom do we have if we are in the sinful nature? We are not totally free. We only have a freedom that is controlled by our sinful nature. This person does not submit to God's law, nor can he do so. Remember, the gospel is not a movement from one type of freedom to another type of freedom. It's a movement from slavery to freedom. Here's the person who, in their nature, is not only, to use the theological language, totally depraved, but they are totally unable to help themselves. He doesn't submit, nor can he do so. He doesn't want to. He cannot fulfill the righteous requirements of God's law. Uh, we, we often think that... It, maybe you're not a Christian. And you think, actually, God is a shackle that I want to throw off. Now, if I throw off the idea of God, then I will truly know life. And there's a guy who's got a great illustration to counter your argument. He says this. Let's suppose that a kite could come to life and develop its own personality. Which is a weird thought, but stick with it. He says, on the one hand, it would feel exhilaration that comes from the surges of wind that direct it through the sky. On the other hand, it would almost immediately take notice of something annoying. The tugging of a string at center, the constant feeling of constraint and of resistance. Soon the kite begins to think to itself, if only I could detach, then I could really fly. To the kite, you see, it seems that the string is limiting its full experience of freedom. But, as any boy or girl who's ever flown a kite knows, were that string to suddenly snap, the kite wouldn't soar free for very long. It would dart to and fro for a minute, maybe, But very soon thereafter, it would end up on the ground in a pile of broken sticks and torn paper, never to fly again. We think that if I can get rid of this controlling influence of God, I'll be free, I'll have life. But actually, the Bible says that if you cast off the idea of God, you're actually cutting the string that makes the kite fly. You might go sporadic for a little while, but at the end, you'll end up not just on the ground like a broken kite, but in the grave. The wages of sin is death. But, verse 9, if you are in Christ, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Your mind, however, is controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. 
The illustration continues. Rather, you see, it is the taut line between the kite and the one holding it that enables the kite to fly, that allows all the principles of aerodynamics to come into play so that the kite might achieve its full purpose. When you find yourself in Christ by faith and therefore his spirit in you, the spirit is the one who has reattached a line to the kite. He has taken control. So that what you know is not this sporadic, kind of short, uh, short-lived joy that ends in death, but rather an ongoing experience of true life and true peace that it can only come from knowing who God is. He says the life controlled by the, sin, by the Spirit, verse 6, is life and peace. The wages of sin was death. God's Spirit brings life. The result of sin was enmity against God, but the Spirit brings peace with God. If you're a Christian, and if you've got the Spirit in you, can you fulfill the righteous requirement of the law? Yes, because the Spirit has taken control. He is in you to lead you more towards obeying Christ, making God's law your way of life in a way that would please him. Not only your mind set, but actually your mind controlled. If he's in you, he's in control. Now I want to just concentrate briefly on this verse 9. You, however. Where do you land between these two contrasts? You, however. Are you defined as being in the sinful nature? or by having the Spirit in you. Maybe you're not a Christian tonight. Paul would impress upon you the truth that God not only judges your external behavior, but in a kind of WikiLeaks way, he exposes every thought of your mind. He shows you that not only are you hostile to God, but you're unable to help yourself. He wants to bring you to your knees to the point where you would say, Jesus, save me. Spirit, give me life. He is the one who is willing to do that, even tonight, so that you may have walked in here feeling the weight of you know, crushed joys and lost hopes. Maybe feeling like that kite that's lost its strength. And you can leave in the truth that you have life and peace in Christ. Maybe you come tonight and when it says you, however, you're not sure where you land. Maybe you've got a feeling where you've had all the externals of Christianity, but actually you've not known that spirit in you. Your mind is unchanged. Uh, You feel like you're controlled more by your sinful nature than anything else. You've, You've got the behavior of Christianity, but not the experience of Christianity. Paul would warn you. Actually, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Christianity is not about external religion. It is about an internal and ongoing work of the Spirit where he engages and changes your mind and he takes control of every aspect of your life. You, however. Now what about if you are a Christian? And if you've seen this black and white, my guess is there's a tension going on in you. Because you're saying, all right, You're saying that if I have the Spirit, my mind is set on the things of the Spirit, but I I know it's not always. 
Or you're saying, okay, I know that you're saying that the Spirit is in control if He's in me, but actually, I feel the tug of my own sinful nature. Well, Paul takes you on to a third thing from verse 10. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Thirdly, from your mind to your body. I wonder how you describe your body. My body is beautiful. My body is strong like ox. How does Paul describe your body? (laughs) Dead. Your body is dead. Now, he's not here contrasting a non-Christian and a Christian. This is now Christian experience. If you're in Christ, your body's dead because of sin. If you're getting older, you'll know this. If you smell the deep heat in a football changing room, you'll know this. If your friends or your husband is honest with you, you'll know this. Our bodies are dead. They're dying. They're decaying. A doctor has written... The moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you'll ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. We have been given life in our spirit because of the righteousness of Jesus. But present experience for the Christian is what? Our bodies are dead. They're still stuck inside the, and saddled in the weak bodies that have been corrupted by the consequences of sin. That is why we feel this battle. The Spirit is in me and I know that He's changing and addressing and engaging my mind, but this body of death still has its influence on me. I know that He's meant to be in control, but this body has a strong pull. What does Paul say? If you know that battle... Let me give you this seed of hope. Your body too will be given life by the Spirit. We read that in verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. One day your body will catch up with your spirit. And it too will be given life. Decay and death is not your final destination. But resurrection is your final destination. Paul says, if the Spirit is in you, He's not only in your mind and in control, but He gives you hope. That in the heat of this tension, this battle, what do I need to cling to? I need to remember, if I'm in Christ, what happens to Him happens to me. And if the Spirit raised Him from the dead, bodily, what is He going to do for us? Raise us from the dead bodily. The Christian hope is not airy-fairy hope. It is concrete in the physical resurrection of Jesus. So that we will live for the rest of forever in a physical body that is no longer decaying and dying and under the influence of sin, but immortal and perfected, free from all the consequences of our own sinful nature. Uh, John Owen writes quite helpfully. He's written a little book on Romans 8. And he says that hope is vital for the Christian who is seeking to walk according to the Spirit. And he gives this illustration. Imagine a group of people on a journey to a country where they expect to live well. Some of them know very little about that country. Others have used every means to learn about it. 
Because the journey is difficult and wearisome, or even dangerous, the people who know very little about their destination easily despair and give up. But those who have a clear idea of where they're going have the strength to endure to the end. Thus, being familiar with thoughts of heaven makes believers strong to endure hardship or persecution. What do you need to know in the tension of body-dead, spirit-alive? You need to set your mind on the new creation, on the resurrection of Jesus. Because as you get to know that, it is the thing that will help you endure the hard times along the way. So, brother and sister in Christ, the Spirit is in you. He's given you everything necessary to walk in a way that pleases God, fulfilling his law as someone who has no condemnation in Christ. Let's pray.